today on Laura Lynn and Friends. For Polyev, again, he is like the radical left about climate change, about wokeism, and so that's why I'm saying Polyev and the Liberals on the most important issues for the future of this country are the same. All right. Well, I do have uh, internet down here, so I hope it's not too bad for everybody. Um, so good to be with you. So this is an incredible, we're at the Gaylord Opryland uh, Hotel, and I'm going to try to put some pictures up to Facebook. And it's absolutely, it's like, it's like a mile and something underneath one roof. I wish I could show you. I'd, I'd, I really have to send pictures this week uh, so that you can all see where I am. So um, it's exciting. Uh, Donald Trump will be here on Thursday night, so we'll get to see him and uh, see what he has to say about the world. Pretty excited. Looks like no matter what they shoot at him, he just keeps getting up. So and he keeps on uh, being a real, you know, force to be reckoned with. Uh, much like one of our political figures in Canada, Maxime Bernier, who no matter what they throw at him, no matter what they call him, no matter how they try to defeat him, he never gives up and he's here and he's not going anywhere. And Maxime Bernier has been somebody that I've grown to admire and appreciate as a politician because he's quite frankly the only one that I know that tells the truth. And he also stands for things that a lot of people uh, will we'll not speak about publicly as politicians. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. What does it take to be someone who's willing to stand uh, up for your values and your principles? So let's bring in Maxime Bernier. I know it's a little bit noisy here, but hello, Maxime. How are you? Great. Thank you, Laraline. I'm very pleased to be with you. Too bad that I'm not with you in Nashville. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. Where are you right now, Max? I'm in Montreal, and last weekend I was uh, near Toronto. As you may know, Laureline, we have a by-election March 4th uh, around Toronto. There's a riding over there, and we have a very good candidate, Patricia. I was with her Saturday. We did the door knocking, campaigning, and it's going well. I love it. I love it. I can't wait to see that. Uh, that's in Durham in, uh, in Ontario there. And what's the temperature where you are, Max? I'm enjoying a little bit of warmth underneath this uh, sunshine down here. Uh, we have sunshine, but it's minus 18, so uh, it's uh, <laughs> a cold, a cold day. <laughs> a very cold day. So I saw today that uh, you've been tweeting, uh, well, the last couple days maybe, but talking about this craziness, the woke world, you know, some of the nutty things that are going on right now. Absolutely. Uh, we are in the middle of a cultural war and our establishment politicians, Poliev, Trudeau and the leader of the NDP and the Bloc Québécois uh, don't want to speak about that. But it's, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a war that we must do together to fight that woke ideology. And when I'm speaking of the woke ideology, it's a diversity, uh, equity and uh, and uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion. So all that ideology—it's a racism, and it's a morally Im incorrect, immoral. It is not moral because uh, the you know if you're a, a white heterosexual man in this uh, in this country right now, you are the 
oppressor and you know you are the bad guy but uh, and they it's always based on race uh, or sexual orientation and gender and as you know we must unite everybody but uh, the woke and our politicians are dividing the population with race and gender and sexual orientation with that DEI philosophy. And for me, we need to fight that. And that's, that's too important for the future of our country. We need to speak about that and go back to our roots that are, you know, in the Constitution, you know that, Loraline, that it's written. This country has been built on the supremacy of God and the rule of law. So we must go back to that and having, you know, <coughs> legislation that will respect everybody, not doing discrimination. You know, positive discrimination is discrimination. We must end all that. And that's the position of the People's Party of Canada. Um, I've seen that they're saying that men can breastfeed now and they've got pictures <laughs> of uh, you put it on your Facebook. It's, yeah. you know, it's like, you know, if we if we didn't actually see this, we think that was crazy and unscientific and no one would do that. But apparently men that have hormones and fake breasts um, are now feeding, feeding babies. <laughs> Can you believe, Laureline, that I we can't. are speaking about that? Seriously, we no, are speaking about I that. I know. <laughs> <laughs> what a crazy world! Uh, <laughs> you, you asked me to comment. You asked me to comment on that, and as you know, that does not exist. That's the woke craziest. They are so crazy that they want they want you to think that everything is normal. You know, it's normal to have. Uh, drag queens dancing uh, in front of children's sexualization of children must be normal. Uh, you know, calling a, a little girl uh, uh, by another name, uh, that's supposed to be normal. <laughs> All that is not normal. And so it, it's sad that we have to speak about that. And I, I'm pretty sure, Loraline, that your viewers <laughs> did know that a man cannot have a baby, cannot <laughs> break breakfast, uh, uh, give uh, uh, milk, human milk to a baby. It's so crazy yeah. that they're putting that in a, in, in a serious newspaper in England. And that's it a serious really, newspaper. I know, I know. And, and life is stranger than fiction right now. Nothing makes sense. The world's upside down. We know that men can not be women and women cannot be men. And you've always been very clear on that. And, uh, you know, you're one of the few people actually able to speak on and, and be honest about these issues. Um, recently, Pierre Polyev was asked about puberty blockers, which, of course, uh, I recently saw you at Tucker Carlson. It was wonderful. First of all, did you enjoy Tucker Carlson there at in, oh, in Edmonton? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely, Loraline, it was great in Edmonton. I, you know, I think we were about 3,000 people in Calgary, maybe about 800 people. So, and the speech was great. A good discussion about common sense, the real common sense. And he, he, he told us to fight these crazies ideologies, like, you know, uh, radical uh, gender ideology or the uh, critical race theory. Uh, it's all wokeism and it's Marxism. 
So we are doing that. And actually, I must admit, Loraline, that you were the first one in 20, 20, 2019 uh, at the Federal level to speak against that. Soji in, uh, in BC, you were the first one. <laughs> and I must admit that when you told me that you are doing that fight, I told you, what do you mean? And you told me at that time, you know, they think that a boy can be a girl and a girl can be a boy. I said, what? <laughs> yeah. What? I don't understand that, but I know that biologically it cannot happen. So that's why uh, you decided to run with us in 2019. And uh, you did you did very great at that time. So answering your question, Noraline, yes, the People's Party is fighting against these uh, radical ideologies since uh, the creation of the party. And, you know, so many people are so politically correct right now, Maxime. Uh, they won't dare. They, they're just shell-shocked. They don't know how to answer. They're just scaredy cats. Uh, they're all uncomfortable. Recently, uh, Pierre Polyev was asked about puberty blockers and such. And we have a clip I want to show you. And I, I want to show you this clip and, and get your feedback on it. What medical such, medical, such as puberty blockers and hormones. For minors? Yeah. Yes. Irreversible? You're talking about your... I, 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 I would like you, to understand your position. No, I want to be, I want to be, I want to be clear. I just want to be clear. Puberty blockers for minors? Yes. Do you agree with that? Do you agree with that? I think that we should protect children what and their ability mean? to make adult decisions when they are adults. So and you think only adults, only adults should make the... You said yes? Just to be clear, you said yes, only adults should take puberty blockers? I think we should protect children. Let them make adult decisions when they become adults. So that means you support age You are against puberty blockers for kids under the age of 18. Is that, is that yes. clear? Yes. Okay. okay. What about, can I ask you about... Um, uh... <laughs> so yeah. it took him a long time to just be clear because you can see he's afraid. You can see in his face. If you're reading, you know, facial expressions, body language, this, this issue is so terrifying for, for politicians for some reason. They just can't stand up to it very well. He finally got the words out. What, what do you think? Yeah, so you're right about that, Loraline. Uh, you know, he was not comfortable to answer the question. He tried, and you, we saw just a part of that uh, discussion with journalists because they were asking the same question in the beginning of, of that uh, scrum with journalists, and he was speaking about Trudeau and Trudeau, that is bad government, and... At the end, we saw it. He wanted to answer the question, but uh, yes and no. So he said yes. But the question is, why is he so afraid of telling the truth? And the answer is because he voted for the transition of kids with the Bill C-4, like all these conservatives, member of members of parliament. He voted for that bill. So he voted for the transition. By doing that, he voted yes for giving puberty hormones to the kids. That's the position of that bill. If you're for transition, you, you, you are for kids having uh, puberty hormones to be able to do their, that transition. And I just want to say something there when I'm using the word transition. That does not exist. I want everybody to be clear, <laughs> like boy, cannot transit or do a transition and being a, a girl, there's only two sexes and it will always be that. But for the woke, you can transition to another sex. So Polyev voted for that. Uh, he didn't want to contradict himself. 
and he said yes, but that was not serious because if he if he was uh, very serious, he is the leader of the opposition, Loralin, so he can tomorrow table a bill in the House, in the House of Commons, and a bill that will change the criminal code to prohibit the use of puberty blockers to minors. You can do that tomorrow and vote on it, but he won't do it because he does not believe in it. And so he just said yes, and he wants, he wants to put that subject, you know, away. And his campaign, it's all about the economy, the economy and the economy. I know that we must do everything to be sure that the inflation will go down and the federal government will control the spending, but it's more than the economy. It's the, 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 the social fabric of our country. The, we need to have that cultural discussion. We need to have that cultural war. We need to fight against these wokes. And he's not doing that. He doesn't have the courage to do it. That's why, you know, we cannot trust uh, the conservatives and Poliev on these issues. Well, if, if it's so important, why not revoke Bill C-4? That would be something the conservatives could do immediately. Instead, they stood in unanimous standing ovation for Bill C-4, which criminalizes any parent or adult psychologist, psychiatrist from telling a child that they should stay in their own body. For speaking those kinds of words, you can get a $200,000 fine, you can, you know, your, your career absolutely revoked and taken from you, and they should revoke that. If they really believe this is wrong, they should revoke that. Absolutely, but they won't do it because they're afraid of the woke lobby. Look what happened to Daniel Smith when she did a little step uh, toward the uh, common sense uh, by saying, you know, in, uh, in Manitoba, it must be uh, prohibited, it must be illegal to give uh, or, uh, puberty hormones to kids, and, uh, but it's just in Alberta, and Pierre Poliev can do the right thing to be sure that it will be all across the country by modifying the criminal code. But he, he won't do it because he saw what happened to Daniel Smith. All the mainstream media and the leftists, they were saying that she's anti-trans and, uh, and so that was not popular with the mainstream media. And Poliev needs the mainstream media to be able to win the next election. So that's why he won't do anything and he won't speak again. He won't say anything about that. And actually, Laureline, you must remember that the Poliev's office in Ottawa sent an email to all the conservative MPs and they said about that question, and they said, don't engage with journalists on that. Don't answer any question. It's not our debate. It's not our issue. I don't want you to speak about that. So that's another proof that the Conservative Party of Canada is not serious to fight against uh, these uh, woke and, and that uh, radical ideology. Absolutely. And I, I'm wondering, Maxime, even on the issues of climate, uh, they, <laughs> the, the Conservatives see, still seem to think that, you know, climate is an issue and they want to meet these targets. Absolutely. We are in a climate crisis, Loraline. Ooh, it's minus 18 in Montreal, so we have a big <laughs> climate crisis. 
That's crazy. There's no climate crisis. The federal government is pushing that idea. It's like COVID-19, you know. Oh my God, that virus is deadly for everybody. We must shut down the economy. Now the federal government, they're putting ads on TV and on radio station about climate crisis just to try to change the public opinion and they want to scare the public opinion. And Polyev won't say anything about that because he agrees with that. That's part of his position. The only thing that is different between him and Trudeau, he won't impose a carbon tax to fight the climate crisis, but he will put more regulation on businesses that will that will impact consumers because they will transfer their costs to consumers. They will he will give more subsidies to the green industry. Uh, he will. Uh, he will sign the Paris Accord and try to achieve these uh, goals. So for us, will be will be very different. We we will withdraw from the Paris Accord. We won't impose any tax. We won't impose any regulation. And actually, Loradin, we won't do anything for the climate because the climate is always changing. So, but for Poliev, again, he is like the radical left about climate change, about wokeism. And so that's why I'm saying Polyev and the Liberals on the most important issues for the future of this country are the same. They're the same. And so <laughs> that's at, at least we exist as a political party to give an alternative to Canadians when the time will come to vote at the next election. I remember, uh, Maxime, on the issue of even, um, you know, immigration. I remember that when you were running, there was somebody, I think, if I've got the story right, they took out a big billboard and it said, stop mass immigration, I think it said. And uh, oh my goodness, the country went, the left was losing their minds, the conservatives, they were mocking this and you didn't even make the billboard is my understanding. But yeah. Um, but they were basically like, this is terrible, this is racist, this makes Maxime Bernier racist. And now we have a lot of immigration and the US and Canada is really facing a crisis. Yeah, that's the crisis. You're absolutely right, Loredin. We don't have a housing crisis. We have a mass immigration crisis. And at that time, yes, we didn't pay, We that was in 2019. Uh, we didn't pay uh, as a political party for these uh, billboards. That was a businessman that decided to put these billboards and uh, they he paid for a month. And actually these billboards were, were there only for a week because of all the pressure coming from the left. And so they decided to reimburse that guy and end that campaign to end mass immigration. That was not politically correct. But if you remember, in 2018, I did a tweet that was very popular and I said, no more politically correctness for me. And uh, I just want to tell the truth based on facts. And we have a strong vision for this country because we believe in people. We don't believe in a big fat government that will tell you what to do or what not to do. So that's the People's Party. And at that time, you're right. Our journalists were saying that we were racist and I was racist because I wanted to have fewer immigrants at that time. 
And I can tell you, we were right in 2019 and we are even more right today. And actually now it's more open and that will be very difficult for leftists to say that we are racist with our position because now they know that the impact of mass immigration is unsustainable and we need to end that open borders mass immigration policy. And we are the only party that is speaking against that. Polyev said that there's a housing crisis and to solve that, he said we must build more houses. But also he said that 25 years ago in this country, we were building 230,000 houses a year. And last year, he said it, and he's right about that, we created about 240,000 houses. But to be sure to be able to, the, the supply being able to, uh, at, at the same, being at the same level than the demand, we need to, we need to build every year about 450,000 houses. And we won't be able to do that. But for Polyev, he will try to interfere in provincial jurisdictions and telling, you know, mayors across the country what to do in, in, in their regulations and try to change that. No, you need to respect the constitution and you're doing politics at the federal level. And the only thing that will work to end the housing crisis is to stop mass immigration. You can do that tomorrow. You can cut that cut it that will have a huge impact right now but polyev won't speak about that he's looking always on the supply side but the answer is in the demand side and he won't speak about that because he is pandering to ethnic writings and he thinks that he can have uh, more votes and being able to be in government so what is doing polyev is not working for the future of our of this country for the well-being of canadians but for himself and uh, and i it's wrong it's wrong you need to have the courage to say the truth to canadians and they understand if you look at the last survey more than 50 percent of canadians including immigrants we're saying that, you know, there's too many immigrants, newcomers in this country. And um, I wanted to to talk about the impact that that's having as well on inflation. Um, you know, here in British Columbia, Maxime, uh, my husband and I, we've been driving down the highway and more and more people are actually camping out. They, they have tents, tent cities going up uh, a number one highway and people can't afford to eat even even those who make a good living you're still pay, paying maybe 300 more dollars per month on your food um, everything's more gas is more expensive like you're running out of dollars before the end of the month and that's increasingly becoming a hardship on families you're absolutely right about that and the real inflation rate must be around you know six to eight nine percent the official one is around 3%, uh, but that's the one coming from the government. But we all know if when we do our grocery that you know the inflation is more than that. And we have that inflation because of the huge spending that the federal government did during COVID-19 and Poliev voted for that. They created a huge deficit and that deficit was financed by the Bank of Canada. The Bank of Canada printed that money. And when you have more money chasing fewer goods, 
you have inflation, your, your uh, standard of living is going down, inflation is going up, everybody is poor, and that's happening right now. But Poliev voted for this deficit uh, during the COVID hysteria. And, and you add to that the mass immigration uh, and, and all the spending that we must do. You know, the federal government is, is uh, renting hotels to be sure that these illegal immigrants will have a place to stay. And we are paying for that when we have Canadians that cannot afford uh, to rent an apartment or buy a house. So we need to put Canadian first, not newcomers first. And actually, i give you another example. In Quebec, um, two weeks ago, a court in Quebec said for the newcomers, the illegal refugees, they will have the right to have a daycare place. So, you know, in Quebec, you have daycare. It's very cheap and it's financed by the government. But there's not, a, there's not enough daycare places for Quebecers. But the judge said also a newcomers must be able to send their kids to, a, a, to daycare paid by the government. So, you know, it's crazy. We have too many people. We, we want to take care of them. We want to take care of newcomers, but we cannot because there's too, many, too much people. And these people will have to, you know, send their kid to school. Uh, they, will, they will go uh, to uh, healthcare and the system is broken. We, we cannot afford to give services to all these people. So let's be honest with us and just, you know, stop mass immigration. And, uh, and we will, that will help to solve the problems that we have in our society right now. You know, uh, the migrants, uh, illegal or legal, um, do not support this woke uh, agenda that we have in Canada, this godless, woke agenda of trans transgendering. So to bring it full circle, do you think that these migrants understand that when they go into the free uh, daycare and free schooling, that they will simply be propagandized into gender ideology? I, I think they don't. I think they don't understand that. And actually, it is sad because, uh, you know, I'm traveling across the country and I've met a lot of uh, parents and they are telling me that now they're homeschooling. Homeschooling is booming in this country. And it's sad because they are paying with their taxes for education, public education, but they know that it's not education, it's indoctrination, and they don't want that. So they are homeschooling, but they are still paying for the public education without using it. It's unfair. And, you know, we must change that system. It's not working. But actually, as you know, education is at a provincial level. What we can do, I'm doing politics at the federal level. What we can do, we can stop funding all these uh, <coughs> group groups that are promoting leftist and woke ideologies in school. The federal government is giving millions of dollars to activists that will go and, and try to influence uh, school boards uh, and, and for putting their ideology uh, in the schools, in the education system, and uh, that's working. So you must cut the funding. At least, you know, they won't be able to travel across the country and promote that radical ideology. You know, one of the differences, um, thank you for your time. You've been so generous today, Maxime. Um, 
uh, one of the things that I see as a big difference between you and Polyev, um, you know, the polls are showing that he's um, gaining ground and everybody, it's, this is the get rid of Trudeau um, election that, that will come up. And we, we do hope to get rid of Trudeau sooner than later. But I want to tell you honestly some differences and maybe you could uh, just tell me why you have, you have the instinct to lead. And Pierre Polyev, he's very good at uh, maybe some grandstanding in the House of Commons, but he's, he's wrong on climate change. He's, to me, he's wrong. I, I don't know if I've ever talked to you about the Ukraine war, but I don't want any blood of our Canadian sons shed in any more wars that have nothing to do with us. I don't know why we're giving to money, money to the Ukraine when we're going broke and we have the homeless. I don't understand these things. I don't know why Pierre Polyev voted in Bill C-4 that doesn't protect children, yet he talks about it. I don't know why he didn't stand up for the Freedom Convoy. I don't know why he's not at Tucker Carlson. I don't know why he spoke so badly about Christine Anderson. Every single thing that us as conservatives actually believe, Pierre Polyev gets it wrong. But I can tell you a lot of people, they just, they're like, don't put down Pierre, we have to win, we have to get rid of Trudeau, you know? Instead of seeing that, that you have been on the right side of every one of those issues. And you know, Maxime, I, I have very high standards for who I believe in, and you always have the right take, the truth take, you always have the wisdom to see what the truth is on an issue and to call it correctly the first time. Where did you get that? Yeah, just uh, the real common sense and not being afraid. You know, you do your research, research, you look at the, the issue and you look at what is happening in other countries. And so you come and, and you must have a solution that will be also in line with your values. And as you know, the values that we are promoting is the Western civilization values. It's why Canada became a rich country. So individual freedom, personal responsibility, respect and fairness. So when you are looking at an issue, I'm, I'm looking at, okay, I want a solution that will be in line with these values. What would be the best solution? And that's why we are able to put the best solution and, and promoting that. Like the war in Ukraine, like you said, you know, I was saying in the beginning, it's not our war. Canada must not participate in that. We must not send money to Ukraine. And but Polyev, Trudeau, again, they, 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 they agreed together to send more money to Ukraine's more ammunitions. What we are doing, we are killing young Ukrainians. That's it, that war must end and Putin is ready for a solution and, and, and being sure that, you know, they will have an agreement, a peace agreement, is ready for that. Who's, who is, is not ready? That's us, the West, the US, the UK, Canada. They want to fight and fight and fight. That must end because we are destroying a country right now that we are saying people, we are helping Ukraine. We are not helping Ukraine. They must go around the, the around the, the table and having a discussion for being sure that we'll have a peace agreement. That's what I said two years ago. And and you know it's too bad. But Podiev for him is uh is a little bit like um, actually I must admit, Harper on that. Harper was a warrior, the war in Afghanistan, he was promoting that. And what happened? 
10 years after that, the Taliban's are in power and you know, Canada was not able to change anything. That was not our war. And I like to quote Prime Minister Chrétien, he was right on the war and he said no to the US for a war in Iraq and he was right. So we must do that. That's part of our history and our culture to promote peace and peacemaking and peacekeeping. That's our country, but Poliev and Trudeau are against the history of our country by promoting war. And it's very surprising, Laureline, that the left, usually the left are, are supposed to be for peace, peace and love, but no, the left, they, are, they agree. The NDP, the Bloc Québécois, the Green, they are pro-war in Ukraine. So that must stop, you're right. And that's why we, we are promoting the common sense on that, in line with our values and in line with our history as a country. My final question, my final question for you, uh, Maxime, is a lot of people thought you'd be gone by now. Um, you know, it, it hasn't been easy to do what you did. First of all, you had to, you had to literally, you know, get yourself out of a corrupt and politically inept party, and you did that. Then you started your own party, and it's been a, a very uphill uh, walk. But year by year, your percentages are increasing, and many people thought you'd be gone. I've seen it in the Twitters. Oh, you know, he'll be gone, but you're still here. Uh, how long will you be here? <laughs> until we win, until we win the battle of ideas, until we do that common sense, peaceful revolution. And I know that doing a revolution, you cannot do that in one day. That will take time. And I'm there for that. And I said to my wife, I'm, I'm in shape. I'm very happy for that. God bless me for that. And, um, and so I'm, I'm ready to go for that election and be the next one, we'll see. But you, you just said about, you know, everybody are ready to get rid of Trudeau and, and myself also. But, you know, if Polyev is winning hugely in the polls by 10, 15 points, you know, I'm going to be able to say to Canadian, look, you will get rid of Trudeau. Polyev will be in government. So now you have an opportunity vote in line with your values because it's a win-win. Polyev will be prime minister and you can vote for your values and we will keep Pierre Polyev honest and will push him in the right direction. So the People's Party of Canada is your insurance policy that the conservative are not only conservative in name, but are acting in the house as a government, as a real conservative government. So there's a role for the People's Party at the next election. Love it. And uh, Maxime, we love you. Canada loves you. Uh, the growing number of people that are supporting you and, and coming to this truth, it's really awesome. And I agree with you. A couple of PPC members in the House of Commons to start with would be an insurance policy to hold accountable the Conservative government that is no longer accountable. You can't tell me they're accountable. They will not deal with anything to do with abortion. You yourself have said we, could, we can raise this issue, we can get uh, you know, bills on the table. You're the one who basically says, let's have a democratic society that honors life and uh, and honors all of these good things to put Canadians first. That's what you've always done. You're always ahead of the pack. And I honor you for that, Maxime, and I will continue to stand behind you. Thank you for all that you do for us.
Thank you, Laureline, and thank you also for giving me that opportunity to be able to have that discussion with you. And because for me, that's another nice opportunity to be out there. As you know, we are canceled, canceled by the mainstream media. But doing that podcast and that interview with you, that's helping me to just be out there with our ideas. And I'm asking people, if you like what I'm saying and you want to know more, go on our website, peoplespartyofcanada.ca and read our platform. And if you don't like what I'm saying, just don't vote for us. I want change. I want pender. I believe that we have the right position and and the the best position for the future of this country, and we will be able to win. Just about speaking about what we believe, we'll be able to influence more people, and we'll be able to change this country. And I'm, I'm not leaving the country. I'm doing the fight here for my two daughters and for all Canadians. I appreciate your courage, Maxime Bernier. Thank you very much for your time today. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you, Laureline. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Isn't he awesome? Um, I really mean it that I just put so much stock in Maxime, and the reason is because of his character. I guess we can keep on voting in people who, you know, um, you know, put their finger into the wind and see which way the wind blows and then give us their perception on it. Or we can vote for someone who always seems to have the right end of the stick and, you know, um, stands up courageously speaking against whatever he thinks is wrong and standing for what he thinks is right. And that is a rare politician. And it, it's so rare. Um, I don't know that it's recognized yet by people in Canada, um, I pray that it does get more recognized that Maxime Bernier, he speaks the truth, he stands for the truth, he does it without uh, shame, uh, without apology, and he, he speaks what most of us, I know my audience, he speaks what most of us actually believe. And so I appreciate that. So here I am, I don't know if I can give you a little bit of a, a turnaround, sort of what this looks like. I guess I could kind of turn this JT a little bit uh, to give uh, people an idea of how big of scope this is. Um, this is a huge hotel. I don't know what you're seeing that way. I'm going to kind of move the camera that way and then I'll sort of bring it back here. But it is absolutely phenomenal and someone's been very kind to actually let me sit in their chair here for the last little bit. Um, this morning, I got to meet a couple of incredible people. Uh, one is Chris, Chris Mitchell from CBN. Uh, formerly, I was with 700 Club CBN um, as the Canadian co-host. And Chris Mitchell has been covering Israel for years and years. I was also blessed to meet another gentleman, and his name was Yuri. Let me just get this. Yuri Steinberg. Now, Yuri Steinberg has been a former diplomat from Israel. And uh, he, he was there when October 7th happened and he has incredible information on what has transpired. So I'd like to go to that interview now. Hello everyone. All right, I'm here with Uri Steinberg and uh, you live in Israel. I do. And uh, were you there on October 7th or were you? Yes, I was there with my family when alarms went off at 6.30. And the last four months for us have been um, troubling, have been this ongoing trauma. But at the same time, we feel that we've got so many friends like you 
like your viewers overseas that support us, that pray for us, and it, it gives us strength every morning when we wake up. A lot of people I'm hearing from, they say that it's been over-exaggerated. The, um, the attacks have been over-exaggerated. Now, I find that difficult to believe because we've all seen Hamas video and all kinds of, you know, uh, evidence is there. Uh, a personal friend of mine went to a kibbutz. 90% of that kibbutz was killed. Yes. Uh, what, what do you say to people who say there's no evidence? Be in Israel. Come to Israel. See for yourself. It's as, as clear as it can get. People were massacred. Babies were beheaded. Um, women were raped. Um, unfortunately, the ruins are still there to see. Um, it was the worst, the worst attack on Jews ever since the Holocaust. Yes. We went through a mini Holocaust. And the world, the world can, and naysayers can deny it, but it happened. And we're just doing what every human being would do, which is to act, to protect their own family, just to make sure that this will not repeat. Um, and we know that out there people are trying to twist the truth, and they will continue to do that. But uh, we have no chance but to fight for our freedom, to fight for our existence, and knowing Christians are out there to help us, we know we, we will prevail. Tell me about Gaza before this happened. I heard that it wasn't really safe for Jews to go there. Is, is that the case? Oh, for sure. You know, there's an interesting saying by Golda Meir, who was the Prime Minister of Israel. Um, if the Arabs lay down their weapons, there will be peace. If the Jews, if Israel will lay down the weapon, there will no, be no more Israel. Right. Um, for us, there's never been safe to go there. For us, we were always seen as an occupier. Even after we withdrew from Gaza in 2005, um, and looking at their literature, looking at their educational information, what they're spreading to their kids, they wanted to kill us. They never hid that. And it was clear as sun always, you Jews have no place under the sun as long as you're in the state of Israel. And now I think it's clearer than ever. Um, however, Palestinians had the ability to build a paradise there. The world gave them billions. The world hugged them. Israel withdrew. But they took the money, they took the concrete that they received, and instead of building classrooms and factories, they built tunnels, they built terror, um, and they are, unfortunately, uh, they'll have to face the consequences. People uh, will refer to Israel as occupiers, yeah. when in, in actual fact, when I read my Bible and uh, the Torah, King David was king exactly. in Jerusalem, exactly. in Israel. Uh, how much farther back can we go? We know Abraham, exactly. right? And so why are people so confused about whose land this is? Because people are confused. Young people around the world are experiencing this woke revolution. And they see us Israelis, Jews in Israel, as white colonialists, right? Because someone taught them at school that. The truth, of course, as you said yourself, you know, we've been there for 3,000 years. Five years ago, we found a coin from the times of David that really connects archaeologically, historically, factually our existence in the land for so long. And even in the last 2,000 years, there was always a Jewish presence in the state of Israel for as long as we can remember. So, you know, talking about that is just ridiculous. One can ask, what is the actual connection of Palestinians to the state of Israel? You know, why? But um, it seems right now that the world is upside down, right? It seems that, you know, those who were attacked are now being blamed for being the occupiers. 
Um, so there is moral confusion to be delicate about it. And we need friends to help us who are not Israelis, who are not part of the conflict, to help us tell the truth and convey the real truth out there. And that's what we want to do. I mean, I've been trying to cover that very extensively on the show. And a couple questions I have for you, because I like to hit what people are saying and tell the truth about it. They say that Gaza became like an open air prison. But from my understanding, people from Gaza were coming into work. Now, why did they kind of build a wall? Was that for the protection because they kept attacking, like Hamas kept shooting bombs? What happened in Israel, even for the most liberal Israelis, was a tragedy because in 2005 we decided you know we're going out we're living you even took graves we took graves the jewish graves we took graves we took out um our our um, um our graves our homes and left it was up to them to decide what they want to do with their faith and they have decided because at the end of the day they will not accept our existence here they have decided to try to start um instead of investing again in education to start investing in rockets um the, it was no op- they could have done whatever they wanted we did not make it a prison even today by the way the egyptian border is out there we're not controlling 360 degrees of this entire area right. there's a and border with egypt. egypt put a put a wall up now oh egypt has put a wall but the egyptians are not the jews so no one is after them Yeah. Our small country, for some reason, when so much atrocities are happening around the world, you know, in China, the Christian Uyghurs are suffering, in Afghanistan, in Pakistan. But for some reason, everyone is sticking to us. You know, no one is talking about I didn't see people rioting in the streets where 600,000 Syrians were massacred by Assad. All of a sudden, when it comes to us, in a very complex story, we are very everyone is very fast to blame us for the wrongdoings so we need help to 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 convey the truth definitely and for those that say now there's just a genocide going on in gaza um i i'm i'm trying to think put myself you exactly. know being in israel and what would i want my government to do if if i if hamas is sworn enemies they they said that they want to kill everyone it's on their mission statement practically mm. right? right um so so the the israelis feel now that they need to go in so what do you say about those that say well there's this genocide going on what is the answer to that the answer is is very clear i think first of all the main question the main answer the main question that i would ask people is what would you do what would you do if you know if october 7 had happened to you what would you say to people and 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 how would you react the problem is that hamas is cynical about its people it's digging under houses yes it's using um gazan as human shields and basically leaves us with no other alternatives but to try to be smart to try to protect innocent lives of gazans and yet we got to unroot this evil and we will do yes. whatever it takes we're trying in every possible way not to harm civilians but obviously when you're working in the most condensed um area on planet earth when you've got so many people that live in one square kilometers um unfortunately civilians are 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 injured and are dead we i ache when i hear about a palestinian kid because he's a child of god um unfortunately they don't 
react the same way. So we are, we have a just war to, to be back. Hamas, in all fairness, would appear that they don't care about their people because they did this to Israel knowing what would Israel do? Israel's going to attack. Yes. So, so they, they did not, I think Israel maybe did not predict that Hamas would have so little care of their own people yeah. that they would just do a brutal day like October 7th. And, expecting. They, use, and they use them as pawns. Right. They don't care. They don't care. They have this messianic, crazy zeal of destroying the state of Israel and the Jewish people. Yes. Whatever it takes. And they do not care, unfortunately. They don't think like we do. They don't act like we do in terms of the importance of human lives. And we see it day in, day out. They hide. Yes. The terrorists hide. And who's who's out there? Who's out there being used as human shields? Innocent children yes. and women. And, and we're trying our best, obviously. Um, it, it's, it's not enough all the time. But yeah. I think going to sleep at night, we can sleep with clear conscience that we are doing our utmost, probably most than any other country would have done in this situation, to... Uh, uh, to try to, to annihilate those who attacked us uh, without harming civilians. Yes, and we appreciate that about Israel. Thank you very much for Thank what you. you've done. You're, you formerly uh, you've, were a diplomat yes, I was. with Israel, oh, yes, I was. so you stand with them strongly. Yes. Uh, yes Prime Minister Netanyahu has a very big job on his hands, and we no appreciate the, the stress that he's feeling yeah. right now. Thank you so much Thank for your you. time, and God bless Israel. Thank you so Thank much. You. Thank you. Oh, well, that was absolutely wonderful. Just kind of meeting uh, this gentleman by chance. He was actually greeting Chris Mitchell, who is the next interview I want to put up. Um, and to find out, he's also been working behind the scenes with The Chosen um, as a an advisor on the the Jewish custom and, and sort of tradition that was input into the seasons of The Chosen. So we just love him and uh, appreciate uh, this man's stand for the nation. So another great man is Chris Mitchell. And Chris uh, has been, you know, broadcasting from Israel for many, many years. So he has tremendous insight. He will tell you that he was recently in a Hamas tunnel in Gaza. So his insight is epic. Take a listen. Well, I'm having a great time down here at the National Religious Broadcasters big event in Nashville. And I run into Chris Mitchell. Chris, you have been doing incredible work for CBN for so many years, really covering Israel. Uh -huh. And what, what do you want people to know in, you know, looking back, what happened October 7th has changed the world, really. Yeah, yeah it really So has. what do you, how do you see it? Well, it did. It changed the world on October 7th. It changed Israel. It changed the Jewish uh, people around the world, and it, as you said, it just changed the world. I think when I come here, I want people to understand that it really happened. Uh, some people say it was AI, or maybe Israel did it. Yes. There's a, it, on social media, you can hear that narrative, but being on the front lines, being in Gaza on the border, to see places like Kibbutz Be'eri, Kibbutz Kafaraza, which I was there just about three weeks ago. About two weeks ago, I was inside Gaza, and got to see one of the terror tunnels built by Hamas. So for about 18 years, Hamas had been building a military infrastructure inside Gaza. Some people describe Gaza as a military base with civilians living in it. Almost every home you went, every school, every mosque, every UN school, they found tunnels, they found a, 
military equipment, guns, ammunition, uh, all that throughout Gaza. And, uh, and so and propaganda about the way the a whole generation was trained to kill Jews and to defeat Israel. And we saw that happen on October 7th. And I think people need to understand it's not just Israel that's at risk. This is a radical Islamic ideology that wants to go to Rome and London and Washington. They have a worldwide agenda. And Israel may be fighting that battle now, but it's a fight for Western civilization. Yeah, I appreciate you you saying that because Hamas, in, even in their mission statement, they are they are sworn to take out every Jew that yeah, they can. Yeah, yeah, right. That's their yeah. In in, right the, in their charter, it says that uh, it quotes the Quran that says, uh, you know, oh Jew, oh talking to the rocks and the trees, uh, that they would say, oh, there's a Jew here, come and kill him. So that's what they want to do, and that's what we saw on October seventh. 1,200 Israelis murdered, 240 kidnapped, many of them still kept in Gaza right now. And so I think people need to understand the context for what's happening in Gaza. Uh, it's very difficult for the Palestinian people. The president of Israel freely admits that, and yet you understand what happened on October 7th, why they're in there, and why they're trying to eliminate Hamas as a threat to the Jewish people, because they have pledged not to do just one October 7th, but many, many more. Um, there's been a lot of evidence, the Hamas videos that uh, Hamas shot themselves actually uh, doing these heinous crimes. Um, ha have you personally been able to verify that, that this horrible thing happened? Because I will tell you, even yesterday, that I had someone telling me there's there's absolutely no proof that that any of this was done and and I'm incensed by it uh, because I've seen horrible videos. Mm -hmm. But what do you say? Well, I, I as one of the journalists in Washington, in Israel right now, we had the opportunity to see 45 minutes of raw footage from October 7th shot by Hamas. They had GoPros and they documented exactly what they did going into the Kupu team shooting maiming, killing, throwing grenades into a bomb shelter. I saw a father being killed with his two sons. Two sons were uh, wounded, one lost eyesight, but the father was killed. You see in that video, you see that the Hamas uh, terrorists came in. While the children are screaming and terrified, he comes in and takes a drink out of their refrigerator. We also got the WhatsApp audio of a uh, terrorist from Hamas calling his mother and father and boasting that he had just killed uh, 10 Jews. So from their own lips and from their own videos, you see exactly what, uh, what Hamas did. Uh, it wasn't a fake, it wasn't AI, it wasn't right. manufactured, it really happened. Yes. Um, Chris, one of the things also that people say, they wanna say this, is, this was like a 9-11, like, you know, who knows who planned it and why did, how could Israel not have been prepared for this? What do you say to that? It's a great question because many people ask that that day and days afterwards. Right now, the IDF is beginning an investigation to see what happened. Uh, it's going to be an inquiry, just like it was after the 1973 Yom Kippur War. Uh, that was a massive intelligence failure as well. Almost 50 years to the day, this was a massive intelligence failure. Uh, but there are how you can explain it, I don't believe the conspiracy theories, 
there were warnings. Many of the women on bases on the border were trained to monitor 24-7 what was happening. And they were warning. They were saying that Hamas is training and exactly what they were training they perpetrated on October 7th. Right. There were IDF battalions apparently that were transferred from Gaza to Judea and Samaria, the West Bank. Uh, so there are reasons for it, but I don't believe the conspiracy theories, but uh, it was a tragic intelligence failure of historic yes. proportions. One thing I heard Amir Sarfati, mm -hmm. and I'm sure you know him, yeah. but um, he said that they took out the cameras and that they, they had been getting closer and closer. So everyone was kind of like, "Is this is what they're normally doing. You yeah, know? right. So uh, and then uh, that Israel felt Hezbollah was a much bigger threat than Hamas. Right. Therefore, they were they just didn't anticipate that Hamas would would right. do this and not care about their own people because clearly Israel was going to. Yeah, right. No, yeah. they did. And Hamas, I think, planned it for months, if not a few years, to lull Israel into a slumber right. that maybe they're, they want to do that, but they don't have the capacity to do that and not the motivation to do that, not the willingness to carry it out on October 7th. Yes. They did take out the uh, many of the observation points right on the border. Uh, they breached the fence. It was a billion dollar fence and uh, it was breached, I think, in 22 places. Yes. So it was... Uh, was a hard thing to survive. Yes, it was. So uh, one of the things that we hear about uh, President Netanyahu, Prime Minister Netanyahu, sorry, um, is that um, I, I hear two things, that there's tremendous support because he's very strong. And then I also hear that people are upset and under his watch this happened. So how do you gauge the sort of political climate there? Right now, I think Israelis, for the most part, are resolute that they want to do two things. They want to eliminate Hamas as a threat, and they want people to be able to go back to their homes, both on the southern border and the northern border. As we finish the, or presumably if they are able to finish the war against Hamas, they'll turn north to Hezbollah. Politically, I think right now, I don't think people are want a new election. They don't want to necessarily change the government because it's war, and they don't want to have any uns, uh, political instability right now. Yeah, that's wise. After the war, there's going to be inquiries. There's going to be a political fallout. Uh, October 7th changed Israel, not only in so many ways, but politically the ramifications will come in the next election or the election after that. Uh, but right now, I, I think Israelis, for the most part, want to keep the government together uh, as they prosecute not only this war, but the war to come. So uh, I also saw some video that Israel is kind of... Uh, sending some bombs into um into lebanon mm -hmm. and why is that happening is that well right after the october 7th hezbollah joined the war in support of hamas uh and has been a low-scale war ever since so there's been about 2,000 rockets by hezbollah into northern israel and in northern israel there's maybe almost a hundred thousand israelis that are refugees in their own homeland they're internally displaced it's a ghost town for many of those communities on the northern border. So the IDF is striking Hezbollah. Hezbollah continues to fire rockets, but it's a low-scale war right now. The concern by many and the expectation of many is that this, what's going on on the northern border on a low level is going to explode into a much larger war because a lot of Israelis feel they cannot live 
with the threat of Hezbollah, which is maybe 10 or 15 times the size of Hamas. And who would want to? These, you know, these folks, uh, this is what I say to people who don't seem to understand what's going on, but uh, these, these folks just want to kill everybody. Yeah, so how yeah. do you live at peace exactly. with all of this? So, so Israel, I, I would say, has no choice but yeah. to go in and take out this cancerous terrorism. Yeah, that's exactly how they feel. And they've been talking about it. They've been preparing for it. They've sent three divisions up on the northern border. They've been training. The IDF chief of staff is saying quite clearly that they they are preparing for war and they're going to have war when uh, when and if that, that time comes. Right. And one, one final question then. Um, do you feel that uh, they're calling it a genocide in Gaza? I'm always surprised at I'm seeing mothers still walking, like they show videos, yeah, yeah. still walking with their kids right. and putting their, their children in harm's way. And I'm not certain if that's the ideology of the Islamic, you, you'll be a martyr and you'll get some sort of yeah, paradise right. for this. I don't know. You know, that's a great question because a lot of people use that, gen that word genocide. But what Israel is doing is trying to eliminate the threat of Hamas, this terrorist base largest in the world with tunnels and weapons and almost every building within Gaza. Even like schools. Yeah. Schools. While at the same time, they're trying to protect Israel, uh, Palestinian civilians. How do they do that? They call, they send texts, they send leaflets, they tell people where to go to get out of harm's way. We were talking to an Israeli general just a couple of weeks ago. He actually telegraphs his military plans to the enemy by telling the uh, Palestinians to leave. So they're doing what they can to protect Palestinian lives while Hamas is putting their own civilians in harm's way to use them right. as human shields and as propaganda. Because if more Palestinians die, they get more sympathy for Hamas. And that's exactly their propaganda. I've been covering war since 2008 and nine on the border, 12, 2014. It's the same script that goes over and over. And Hamas uses their own civilians as propaganda to get the sympathy of the world, which moves the media, which moves the politicians, which moves policy. And it really works, and that's why they do it. But it's tragic for the Palestinians. It, it is. Um, and uh, sorry, I said that was the last question, but one more. If you've been covering war for all of that I do the same time, thing, by the okay, way. Okay, <laughs> good. Yeah, well, you're so, you're so learned in your experience. Like, I try to bring this to the audience because this is what they say. Israel, they're occupiers. Israel, you know, they're terrorists themselves. They go after. But whenever I look back into the history of things, it appears that Israel always tries to do the least amount of damage and simply wants to protect their own land. Exactly. Yeah, that's all they're doing. They're trying to protect their own land. To your point about occupiers, uh, we did a story a couple of weeks ago where indigenous people from literally the ends of the earth, from like, like the Kingdom of Tonga, from New Zealand and the Solomon Islands, so coming back, they recognize the Jewish people as the original indigenous people of the land of Israel. They go back to King David. They go back to Abraham. Wow. And so they're recognizing that they're not occupiers. They haven't been there just 75 years. They've been there almost 4,000 years. <laughs> and so when you say That's from... the truth yeah, of the matter. It is. It's yeah. so obvious. Even yeah. biblical text, you know. That's right. If you use that, it's much You look more. at the text. If you look at the archaeology, yeah. if you look at the history, you realize that Israel has been there for many, many years. And you feel safe there because you're still there going into tunnels. That's that's quite a life. <laughs> yeah, I do feel safe. You well, do. it's the Lord. You yeah. know, it's like living out Psalm 91. 
He that dwells under the secret place, place of the, of the Most, Most High, High will abide under the shadow of the, the Almighty. Almighty. Amen. Amen. Well, may God keep you safe. Thank you for uh, supporting Israel, for, for giving us incredible, uh, you know, news and and broadcasting from there for so many years yeah. you're really a blessing and, well, and may you, god Laura. be with you i appreciate it appreciate so much thanks okay. for taking time with me too appreciate it thank you all right well that was really neat to see somebody who's invested their life that way and somebody i've seen on the television for many many years and to see them here and that's what you'll see um one of my friends that's here uh shot me a picture over um she found jack hibbs so jack hibbs is here i'm pretty sure i saw mario murillo um but i kept walking and you know i was like i know that face and then you know i kind of thought that's who it is all right i got a thing coming up here so i'm gonna let you all go jt is there anything you want to run is there any you know a gary uh, senior producer Gary, send over anything that's urgent. I know he was telling me about some things that are going on, but no, um, we're good. We're good, hon. Okay, I'll I'll do a little uh, screen, like I'll do a little, you know, video of what this is like, and just want to show you guys. It's very very cool. Um, so many folks here. So this is a huge hotel. Um, guide and direct me, JT, if I'm doing a good job here, because I can't actually see it. But you can see down over there is where people can eat. And up here at the ceiling, basically this ceiling is over, you know, I don't know if it's one mile squared or two miles. I don't know. But the whole thing is absolutely epic. So you can see that lots of people, whoa, lots of people have come and uh, they're showing and they're preparing. Um, all of their, there's going to be movie reviews for some of the latest movies out. Movie producers are here. Michael uh, from AI Technologies is here, and I'm going to try to snafu him in a little bit. Oh, I kind of lost my thing here, JT. Just a second. A little bit of problems on the fly there. Hang tight. All right, hang on. In any case, I just want to say that my website is lauralyn.tv, and uh, this is what we do. We make television happen, and we inform you about things that are going on around the world. And what is bringing about um, in the world. I see a tremendous rise in folks from everywhere that want to tell the truth, share the truth, uh, become leaders in... AI technology so that it's not completely taken over by all the bad dudes. Um, so that's what we're doing too. So thank you very much. My email is live at protonmail.com if you're able to support. We appreciate you and we couldn't do this kind of programming without you. We don't have a big budget like many of the people here have big budgets. Obviously they've got like five cameras and crews and everything. I'm kind of here by my by myself so uh i love i love that you guys hang out with us every day thank you so much if you're able to go to the website and to help us to do what we do that would be absolutely amazing um just want to leave you with uh, a brief oh i can't can't move because somehow this has come undone you know i just want to say that that scripture that uh the gentleman quoted i think earlier today um 
was it on this um, Psalms 91, you know, that he will hide us underneath the shadow of his wing and we will be safe. And even though the world's kind of crazy right now, I have to say that the people that I'm meeting and those that I see down here that are full of the power of God, they're moving and they're movers and shakers. Um, they're also scared. They're also like trying to find their path in life. And I encourage you never to give up. Always, always know that God has got your back. He is with you. He is near you. He will take you to incredible places that, uh, that you never thought you'd ever get to go to or, or see. He has doors. He has a platform for you. He's got, and, and that doesn't always mean uh, a vocal platform. It, it means your place where the reason that he created you can be a place of flourishing. That platform, he has that for you. And some of us lost in all of this, this last few years, we lost the ability to have fun and to really seize the day and, you know, do some incredible things that maybe bring our souls alive. That's why I like to get out, get out of my little box, you know, my bedroom, my studio, my home once in a while to just get out and see what is actually going on. And then you find out, wow, there is an entire world out there going on. There is a whole lot of fun and a whole lot of great people. Today, I must have met 15 people that I didn't know before today. The nicest folks, all, some of them authors, some do television, some do radio, and yet they're just kind. And we all find our path together. I do know whatever you're going through that the Lord has something really great for you an exciting adventure and if you'll trust him and if you'll listen to that still small voice do you know one month ago I didn't know that I'd be coming again to Nashville but ah oh, someone else I knew was going and then wouldn't you know it I just kept feeling like this was the plan so I'm also meeting with somebody to see about doing Daystar television. And I am hoping that, um, sorry, I got my stuff all over the floor here. Um, and I am hoping that uh, that will be something that the Lord will make a way to do so that we could do sort of a short half hour show on Daystar um, that we could add or pull out pieces of what we do with you every day because um, we don't really want to give up the format where we get to talk to you every day and have some fun we don't want to give that up but we also uh, we also know that there's a television viewing audience out there that needs the truth as well some of our senior citizens some of those who just you know TV is their medium they're not really online so we think there's an audience there that also needs the truth. So we're thinking about that. But I pray for you today that God would be with you, that his strength would be your portion, that you would feel him in the gentle whisper of the wind, that you would sense his loving arms around you, that you would know that you are special and very, very precious to his heart. You, just the way you are, you're awesome and God knows it. Goodbye everyone, I'll see you tomorrow.
You know, it's not easy to deliver the truth of what our sick world is doing, but for some of us, we feel that we have no choice. Because if we are silent about these abominable things, then we are letting evil go unchecked, and we cannot do that. For those of you wonderful people who are writing me and are sharing your encouragement, I am deeply grateful. Thank you for all the letters that you've been sending. Thank you for the donations and the support. I found out that in order to speak the truth, you have to become very, very strong. If you would go to my website at www.lauralyn.tv, you'll find all of the ways that you can contact me. Remember, my friends, all is well. All is well. Thanks for joining me.